As always, the podcast is brought to you by my company, Horns of Odin. This week we released our first ever athletic range, and it's by far the biggest clothing range we have done so far. It includes a men's Odin tee available in four amazing colours, a men's performance top in heather grey, alongside that we have a men's compression quarter zip top, which is made from a super stretchy moisture wicking fabric to make sure that comfort is never compromised. We've really focused on high quality women's wear with our signature sports bra and leggings in a beautiful burgundy colour, designed to give you that locked in feel and offering support to your muscles. Again, this is made in a moisture wicking fabric to ensure maximum comfort. We also have a women's muscle tee in three colours and a ladies racer back, along with a fitted crop top. To check out the full range, head over to www hornsofodin.com but don't forget to use the code HORNS10 to grab yourself 10% discount which is exclusively available to listeners of this podcast. I want to take a moment to introduce a brand new sponsor, Podcorn. When you first start a podcast, monetization is an absolute minefield. It certainly was for us and I'm sure it is for any other podcasters out there, which is why they were so happy that we found them. Podcorn is a marketplace for connecting podcasters to amazing podcast sponsorship opportunities such as host read ads like this one, interview segments, topical discussions and more. With Podcorn, there is absolutely no middleman. Podcasters of all sizes can browse and choose opportunities right on the platform, set their own rates and collaborate with brands directly without any exclusivities. You never give up any rights, which is really important. And Podcorn offers great support to ensure that you're protected and compensated for all the work that you do. Click the link in the show notes or simply visit www.podcorn.com and start browsing for podcast opportunities today. A huge thank you to Podcorn for sponsoring the show. Welcome to the Nordic Mythology Podcast. I'm Daniel Farron, co-owner of the company Horns of Odin, and I'm joined, as always, by Dr. Matthias Nordvig. Hello. It's been a while since it's just been me and you. We've been spoiled with some amazing guests. We have been <laughs> spoiled, yes. Um, and I think we can also put a little teaser out there and and, and tell the good folks who are listening that, uh, that uh, we're going to uh, keep up bringing in interesting, uh, amazing guests. And there's a couple that I'm looking forward to that I'm not sharing yet. Yeah, don't say too much. <laughs> nope. <laughs> no, we, we do. We've got some some good stuff lined up. I think we've got some good stuff lined up in general for the podcast. You know, we've been speaking about hopefully making it a weekly a weekly podcast, which would be which would be amazing. Get get more episodes out there for people. Absolutely, yeah. No, it's um, uh, yeah. I think a a, a weekly episode would definitely uh, uh be be awesome, and I I think we can make it work. Definitely, we had a nice routine going before the whole world set on fire. You know, we were we were doing. I think it was the the first and the fifteenth of the month, and then the virus hit, and we just kind of went mad and was just recording nonstop. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of you, you know. You were like, "Hey, um, I don't have anything to do right now. Let's just make a bunch <laughs> <of> episodes." <laughs> yeah, that, that probably is my fault. So we're gonna try out something new. I think it's something that people have been been asking for. You know, they wanted to hear a little bit more of the mythology side. So we're gonna start doing 
I guess they're quote unquote bonus episodes, but they're going to be featured, you know, every so often when when we can fit them in. Um, and I guess it's going to be a story time style style podcast where you know most of it will probably be you telling one of the original myths or or legends, and I get to sit here, drink my coffee, and listen. <laughs> Lucky bastard! Let's <laughs> say <laughs> I get a I get a front row seat. <laughs> yeah yeah no I'm, I'm really excited about this um it's a i mean retelling the myths right is always a little curious because i obviously i, I have them running you know in, on a screen back of my head but i mean there's always going to be a little bit of change or or something is going to 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 be be off from the way that it was written right because that's how memory works that's also how it worked back then when these people were telling these stories and they didn't have any books to refer to right um but uh but i'm going to 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 do my best to be uh, as close to the way that it was written down and i do i, I know that so um this is something that I've found seems to be really important to a lot of people in general. Like, oh, um, the difference between the written version and the the told version, right? Um, like, you, you 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 can see that on the internet. People get into discussions about you know details, like footnotes, and in any kind of story about Nordic myths, uh, because we have like this, uh, the, 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 basically the text. The literature sets the precedent, right? And that—that's where you go from. Instead of, you know, the living story being the main thing. Now, I'm a much more a believer in the living story than than the written text. I imagine that the written down version is just one of the versions of the story that will have existed. That you know, whoever wrote it down, I guess their their version kind of gets you know immortalized forever, and everyone you know that's the one that people read, but. You know, because the Vikings didn't particularly have, you know, they didn't write things down. It was a very oral tradition. So it would have changed, you know, area to area geographically. Yeah. And from person to person and also from time to time, just for the individual who was telling the story. Right. You have people walking around. They live with um, chieftains and kings and all that stuff and traveling around telling stories they, you know, in some settings, they'll tell the same story in, in, in so many different ways, right? Depending on the mood, the location, uh, the people involved, you know. Sometimes you choose to emphasize one aspect of the story. Sometimes you choose to emphasize another aspect. Uh, sometimes you make the story incredibly lewd. It really depends on the crowd, right? And that's what an entertainer does, right? <laughs> you play to your audience, yeah. Exactly. And that's what the skulls were. They were entertainers, as as well as these, you know, uh, individuals who were capable, who who was charged with the office of, you know, keeping the tradition alive. Right. Well, should we just jump straight into it? I'm I'm excited. Yeah, let's do it. So, do you wanna? I'll let you introduce the the myth that we're gonna we're gonna look at. Yeah. So in this um, episode, we're gonna talk about the story. Uh, of Thor's travel to Utgardalwaki. Um, this is the l- longest narrative about any of the gods that exists, actually. Um, 
and it um, we have it in Snorri Sturluson's Edda. And uh, for those who don't know, Snorri Sturluson was an Icelandic chieftain who um, wrote Edda in 1220, approximately. He uh, was a scholar, a learned man, and judging from what he's written, if he is in fact a guy who wrote it, because we're that is always uncertain when it comes to medieval manuscripts. We can't always really know if the the, the stuff that has been written was actually written by this guy, because usually it's uh, the manuscripts that we have available are later. They're copies of the ones that were written by by the person they are attributed to. So Snyder Sturluson's Edda actually exists in like four versions, um, and the um, the oldest one that we have nowadays is um, approximately 100 years younger than, than Snedder Sturluson uh, when he wrote it. So he wrote it in 1220, and the version that we have is, a, the oldest version we have is a copy from the early 1300s. But if, if Snedder Sturluson was the author of all this, he was a brilliant, brilliant man. Like really a, 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 a like a incredibly learned intellectual um, for his time. He did not have um, any church schooling, as we know of, at least. He didn't know Latin. He wasn't a clergy or anything like that. He was obviously Christian um, because everybody was Christian at the time. Um, he wasn't like some believe that he was like a secret heathen or something like that, but that's not the case. <laughs> um, he's, uh, he's a well-known guy because we have sagas about him and everything. Um, and he was a, you know, aside from being a really awesome intellectual, he was a really bad politician. Uh, <laughs> kind of, he kind of fucked up his whole uh, position uh, in Icelandic society at the time. But that's another story. Now, the thing about the story of Utgaraloki is that, as I said, it's the longest narrative, and it it's important to understand how it falls in place with the other stories in Edda. Um, it comes towards the end of the second part of the book. So there are four parts of Edda. There's the prologue, which sort of like sets the tone, gives us explanations for a lot of different things, among other things, why heathens even exist, why <laughs> heathen gods even exist, and all that stuff. And then we have Gilvaginning, um, which is the uh, the first section about mythology, and this is probably the the part of uh, of Nordic mythology that most people would be familiar with, because this is where you get all the information about all the different gods um, that Odin is called All Father, all of that stuff. Uh, there's a tree called Yggdrasil, and so on. All the cool and stuff. All the cool stuff, right? And then towards the end of uh, of Gilvagin which means, by the way, the deluding of Gilvi. Gilvi was a Swedish king, according to the story, who uh, visited the Aesir, the Nordic gods, um, who had migrated there from Troy. Yeah, that's another story that we would probably touch upon. <laughs> another, there's there's another plenty point. to go on. 
<laughs> yep. Um, and uh, and Gilvi is the Swedish king who is then getting duped by the Nordic gods. The Nordic gods aren't real gods. They're just humans, according to Snorri's Um And they've set up shop in Sweden, and then they're going to tell uh, Gilvi a bunch of uh, uh, funky stories that then he, he'll eventually believe in, and that's how people became pagans in Scandinavia. Boom. That's how... He, <laughs> explains all of this. And that's like uh, pretty standard for his time. Um, but yeah, so uh, they're telling all of these things about Nordic mythology. And in the end of this uh, part of the book, um, that's where we get to the story about uh, Thor uh, visiting with Utgalaloki. It comes right after um, Gilvi has asked the Aesir um, if there are any examples of how Thor has failed. And then they're like, we don't really want to tell you that, but I guess we're going to have to. And then they tell that story. And later on, they, they also tell the story, or right after they tell the story about how uh, he fished for the Midgard serpent, and then the story about how Balder dies, and then we get to Ragnarok. And so what we need to understand is that the story about Utgaraloki actually has its proper place in literature in connection with Ragnarok. It's the preamble to Ragnarok. Um, and what we also need to understand is that the story of Utgaraloki is not an original Viking myth. This is not a story that Vikings would have told. Um, for uh, don't, obvious don't reasons. do that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's a great story, <laughs> but it's it's definitely invented by Christians. That's that's like 100 percent certain. Christian um, propaganda. Yeah, it's dethroning Thor. Like yeah. the, the the important thing to understand about the story is that it actually dethrones Thor and his um, his status as this important warrior god, uh, protector of mankind, and all that stuff. Um, and we'll get into that afterwards. But, um, but yeah, so the story goes, and the, the, I'll have to tell you that this is actually the first story I ever read um, about the Nordic gods myself in Old Norse. Um, like I, I, I had uh, a, like an old uh, high school um, book on Old Norse from back when they were still teaching Old Norse in, in high school. Um, I had inherited it from my dad, um, who actually learned Old Norse back in the 60s in, in high school. That was standard in, in Danish high schools. Wow. Um, yeah, you just had to, like, you know, read a little bit of Old Norse. We don't get to learn any of that. No, you don't even have a little bit of, uh, I don't know, uh, Chaucer English or something like that. Mm, maybe. Maybe I shouldn't listen. <laughs> <laughs> that's usually the case because i remember you know we we also had some medieval danish uh when i was like in 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 like a middle school or something like that and i definitely remember not caring about that <laughs> yeah yeah i probably didn't realize that i was going to grow up to to own like a viking based company and be interested in this whole world no these things they always like you know they develop in, in weird ways right that's um, it yeah but yeah, so the, the, this is the first story that I ever read in Old Norse myself. Um, and um, it begins with uh, Thor um, leaving for Midgarder, right? So he's, uh, he's on a journey, and with him is Loki. They are 
traveling on his chariot with his goats. And can I just mention that, that this whole idea of a chariot being driven by goats is ridiculous, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like those small legs, like just, just imagine. <laughs> it's going to take forever to get anywhere. I think goats get some pretty interesting places, though. They've got some. They get some interesting places, but are they really, you know, the best animal to be? <laughs> anyway, goats is better than cats. Goats is better than cats, um, which begs the question: You think she was Freya was really riding around in a chariot driven by cats? <laughs> Probably not. No, that's probably also that's a that's a question for another episode, but um, because we should definitely look into that at some point. But okay, so uh, they're on a journey. They uh, get to this, uh, um, and we may assume that they have left Ausgarder, right, um, somewhere in the center of the earth, and then they get to Midgarder, where um, they visit with this peasant, and um, they need uh, lodging for the night, and. Uh, he allows them to stay there. Obviously, he does not really know that they're gods, I guess. Um, but, you know, in the evening, Thor decides uh, that he's going to provide them dinner. So he uh, slaughters one of his goats. And then they eat the goat. And the uh, boy, Shelby, um, he breaks the, uh, the, the bone so that he can suck the marrow out of the bone from, from, from one of the legs. And so in the morning, where Thor does what Thor does best, apparently revive goats, um, <laughs> he, he puts the, uh, like the, the skin on the ground and then he puts the bones on it and, and then uh, does some magic trick with his hammer. Um, and then they realize that the goat has, uh, has a bad leg because Shalvi um, broke it. Right? And this is where it then says, uh, the story goes that uh, Thor got so angry like his eyes started like getting all like and he was like clasping his hammer and he was just about to smash them all but then he saw the fear in their eyes and he uh took pity on them and then he said you know what i'm not gonna kill you but i am gonna take you as two uh, two kids Uh, (laughs) (laughs) so yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> so he brings Thialvi and his uh, sister, Reshkwa, um with him on the journey onwards. And then the story tells us that they, they, they cross Jörtunheimer. So that's where the, the giants live, you know, the Jörtunar. Um, they just cross that, and then they get to what is called the Deep Sea. And then they cross the Deep Sea, and that's when they get to Utgader. And may I just note here that this is where the confusion of this idea of like the Yerna being giants originates from and the confusion between like realms too. So, so what this story is basically telling us is that in, in the world that we know, that's where we have Ausgarder, Midgarder and Jörtenheimer, right? So the home of the gods, the home of the humans and the home of the so-called giants. And then there's another realm called Utgarder that is, quite often by a lot of people being confused with Jotunheimer. But this is where Thor goes to when he crosses the deep sea. And mind you, that in this worldview that Snorri Sturluson has uh, when he's writing this story, uh, the world is a disk 
where we have Asia, Africa, and Europe uh, in the center, and then around it is water. And outside there, uh, there are some maybe some rocky beaches or something like that, but we're not entirely sure. Uh, it really depends on who we are and where we are in the Middle Ages. Um, there's obviously, Scandinavians are aware that there's like ice up north and uh, rocky beaches to the west, and possibly also some tribes that uh, we aren't particularly familiar with but run into once in a while in Greenland and Vinland and all that stuff. Um, but so, so, but it's basically terra incognito, and it's also basically outside of God's order. So, what really happens here when when Thor goes to Utgarder, which means outside of the the boundaries, that's what Utgarder means. He goes to outer space. So this is the, the <laughs> Thor's uh, outer space uh, odyssey, uh, <laughs> basically. Wow, the story's taken a, a toll that I wasn't expecting already. Right? <laughs> yeah, because it's complicated, my friend. <laughs> it's always complicated. I mean, I think we've, I think we spoke about it before. How, I guess, you always see these depictions of "quote unquote" the nine realms of being. You know, you know, you, if you Google it, you get there that Google image picture of the nine realms being these different planets, almost in a line and branching off to you know, to the, the fire and the ice on one side and the Midgard in the middle and Asgard above and Helheim below. And it, they, they, they're very much represented as completely different worlds and obviously sometimes described as the nine worlds. Um, and we've, I think we've touched on it before of the possibility, and I think probably the most likely, that there are just more places on Earth or on like a flat plane and there's just different areas that you go to so, you know, like the fire would be where volcanoes may be and the ice would be kind of up, up, the, up the top of Norway. So so rather than being different worlds, them just being different areas of one world. You have to th think uh, about the fact that these representations that you see when you Google it, they're space age representations, right? <laughs> is, yeah, okay, this, yeah. Yeah, this is modern humans being uh, being aware of how planets look and function mm -hmm. in in the universe, right? Uh, that would never have been the way that somebody in the 800s would have thought of all no. this. Um, and you can even see that with the 19th century representations before they had the proper understanding of what was actually going on beyond our, our atmosphere out there, with planets and all that stuff. I mean, it's representations that uh, that are based off of the the tree of Yggdrasil as as sort of like the the main axis and mm -hmm. all of that. Um, so yeah, no, the, these these like different realms in that way. Um, that's that's space age humans who who are you know trying to make sense of all of this. Okay. Um, so yeah, and 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 Snorri Sturluson as a Christian was also trying to make sense of certain things here. Um, but he definitely relegates this realm where Utgaraloki exists to somewhere outside of the known space. Mm -hmm. And okay. this is uh, important to understand because this is based off of a standard um, medieval story. Um, the medieval story that uh, demonstrates uh, the magnificence of God and uh, basically God's uh, glory and power. Usually these, uh, these um, stories take the form of journeys. We know 
as sort sort of like culturally, we know this type of story pretty well actually, because it's Dante, right? Okay. You go yeah. down to hell, then you go up to heaven, and all that stuff, right? So this is uh, this is these uh, these journeys uh, through heaven and hell that demonstrate God's cosmos. This is what he has based this story on, right? So usually, what you what happens is that uh, some some person the, the, the earliest story is actually Saint Paul, um, that and it was known in Iceland to some extent. I mean, Saint Paul um, journeying to hell to you know realize what God's plan is basically, and here we have a Nordic God who is placed in that scenario. So he goes out there on the other side of um, of the deep sea. And this is where they reach, reach this beach. And the party goes through the woods um, on the other side of the beach. And um, then darkness falls and they're like, oh, we should find shelter. Um, so let's go uh, uh, over here to this cave, right? And then they go and they hang out in the cave and they, uh, they try to fall asleep. And then all of a sudden in the middle of the night, uh, they hear like this rumbling, like an earthquake, just like ah, and <laughs> they're all freaking out. And this is the funny thing, right? Because uh, Loki is definitely the god of earthquakes. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> and they're all freaking out about that because you know somebody else is making earthquakes all of a sudden. It's also showing Thor to be scared of something, I guess, as well. Absolutely, Thor is getting freaked out. And um, this goes on all night and they don't get any sleep, right? And then they wake up in the morning, um, I guess after like five minutes of sleep or something like that, just really tired and uh, bummed out and everything. And then they go outside and then they realize that what they thought was a cave was in fact a glove that belongs to uh, uh, this giant called Skrimir. And he's like uh, sleeping over there. And then he wakes up and is like, oh, Ah, no, wait. I forgot a part. Or is that does that come later? Let me just look up. See, this is this is the the part. This is the beauty of. um, But to be fair, I think you know, rather than us just kind of editing this bit out, making it look polished, I think this proves what we were talking about earlier, in the fact that you know you you must have told this story hundreds of times in classes and to, to different people and. Even you, you know, you get little bits mixed up and you have to add bits in and you have to kind of improvise and and alter. So back then, the same thing would have happened. And it's it's a case of that Chinese whispers game where, you know, you say one thing and it, it gets changed and it gets changed. So, you know, this is a prime example. Um, it's yeah. almost like we set it up for you to forget. Exactly, and thank you for saving my ass as I just looked up uh, <laughs> the portion that I forgot. Yeah, no, you're totally right. And what 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 <laughs> what a storyteller would do in that instance as they're realizing, oh shit, I just forgot something, uh, is that they would sort of weave it in uh, later mm-hmm. on, and yeah. um, and so so basically what happens is that um, as they uh, realize that there's an earthquake, they go outside. Uh, as I just looked it up in the story. Um, and and see that there's this giant sleeping there, and um, and Thor uh, then tries to kill him, right? So he uh, he hammers on uh, on his head, 
And the giant just goes like, oh, is that like bird droppings or twigs from the <laughs> from the tree above? And that happens like a couple of times throughout the night. And then uh, in the morning, that's when the, he wakes up and he's like, oh, uh, so you guys are here, right? And um, Zor is a, is a little little miffed, right? Because his hammer is not working. <laughs> yeah, and he's, like I his, guess he's known as the the killer of giants. So I guess exactly. it's quite. It's a, it's a, like you said, it's another moment of Thor failing. He's he's known as the destroyer of giants. You know, the protector of Asgard from giants. And here's a giant sleeping, and he's kind of just tickling his head. Yeah, exactly. Which, which could really have come across as a a bit of a euphemism there. Oh, uh, you have no idea. There's actually, uh, um, um, there, there, there are some suggestions that there, there is a, a bit of a, um, uh, sort of a, some spite directed towards uh, um, um, Thor's manhood here in oh, this story. Okay, <laughs> yes, uh, with this hammer and um, being being compared to bird dropping and all that stuff. <laughs> Anyway, so next thing that happens is that the the party decides to um, um, proceed to, together. Um, mind you, we still don't know why these guys are are even there. Like the the, mm-hmm. the story never ever gave an, uh, gave us an explanation for why Thor went uh, to outer space. Um, but be that as it may, uh, Skrimir uh, suggests that they all um, you know banded together and and walk through the woods in the next morning and um and so they do um and um this is really interesting because uh <laughs> then Skrimia says you know what i can carry the uh the bag of food that you guys have with him because he's a giant right so it's not a problem for him to uh, carry that and they're like walking through the woods and at some point they um Try to um holy shit, I fucked up the story again the whole the whole <laughs> no it's it's okay, it's okay. the whole uh, thing about him smashing the hammer, the Thor smashing the hammer in the head of Skimia that happens while uh Skrimia, um is is sleeping while they're trying to um, uh, while Thor and his buddies are trying to uh eat some some lunch um and this is this is significant because um, uh, Skrimia has been carrying the sack, where, um, and he apparently also, I guess, uh, uh, tied the knot on the sack. And then, as he goes to sleep, he says, "Oh, you guys, you can just like uh, take whatever food you want from the sack." And then Thor is like trying to open it, and he can't get it up. And <laughs> that's when he tries to kill Skrimia and all that stuff. Um, and he's just like, ultimately, the whole point here is that he is proving to be completely without power, without any mm-hmm. capacity at all. And then ultimately, they get through the woods, and Screamia then says, "Oh, um, go to that direction over there. That's where you find Utgarder. Um, But there's going to be people there who are much taller, or bigger than than you are, and it's not going to be a nice experience for you." And Thor is like, well, fuck you, man. You suck anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then the story goes, uh, Screamia <laughs> like, just like turns around and goes, goes in one direction with that knapsack uh, uh, with all the food on his back. 
So he basically just steals their food. <laughs> okay, <laughs> like that, yeah. That's like a, a hilarious, like little little sort of like this like side note that he's just like stealing their food. <laughs> and, <laughs> They haven't had anything to eat since since they left Midgard, right? At mm-hmm. this point, they're all really hungry. They get to Utgardalokis' um, castle, and here they find that they can't open the gate, and it's huge. But they can squeeze through the bars. That's how small they are. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like you have to take the size in with a pinch of salt in in these myths because. One, I mean, one minute they're sleeping in his glove, and then the next minute they're walking side by side. But if you think about the size of them compared to a glove, and his step must be, I don't know, like a a lot of theirs. Their food sack must be tiny compared to the size of him. Yeah, absolutely. No, that, that that's that's part of it. The whole thing, and it, it's it's part of the humor in the story as well. It's making mm-hmm. fun of Thor and how yeah. he's like. You know the the mental image of him having to like run behind like this giant, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to keep up, yeah. um, and and this giant not not giving a, a a damn about it all, you know, and and them obviously to mess with them. That's the whole deal. This, these guys are all about messing with Thor. That's what's happening out here. Um, yeah, so so they um, they squeeze through these bars and get into uh, Utgardaloki's hall. And that's when they meet Udgar Loki. Um, they go up there and he's like, yeah, you can hang out, but you're gonna have to, uh, you know, prove your worth in some tests. Otherwise, you can't hang out. And they're like, oh, okay, I guess. Fine, whatever. And this is where um, the tests say certain things about the abilities of these gods. Um, mind you that Thialvi is actually... Probably an older god. He might even be the same figure as Loki when it comes down to it. Okay. He's um, he's pretty ancient, mentioned in skaldic poetry. Um, and when you go to the skaldic poetry, sometimes it's pretty hard to actually distinguish Thor, Loki, and Thjalvi 100%. There's like mm-hmm. some kind of like big crossover here. Um, but yeah, he um, he's an uh, old god, and he's known for being um, a fast god runner. So he's um, in this story. Uh, he's uh, pitted against Hui, and um, Hui is his name means thought, right? Okay. So we have Thalvi, who is supposed to um, race against. Thought, right? So prove his speed against thought, and of course he loses. Mm-hmm. Next thing that happens is that um, okay, so uh, Loki is pitted against Loi, right? And Loi it means flame, right? Um, he is uh, he's uh, so Loki is going to uh, have an eating contest with the flame. Are these people that they that the race you know? doing the tasks against or or giants they're not it's not just a flame i imagine it's a just a person is that right it is it is probably a person i mean that's what we may assume again it's like a little different uh, difficult to see exactly how um like 
as you said before, it, you know, sometimes they they sort of like lose uh, the size element a little bit, you know, okay. yeah. in, in the descriptions. And, and so uh, they're referred to as men, you know, in the stories. Utgar mm-hmm. um, uh, Loki has like men uh, hanging out. Um, that's how Skrimir talks about them in the mm-hmm. castle. Um, and then he calls uh, uh, <laughs> Thor and his buddies babies. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's something going on here, um, yeah. and it's it, it is it is it, it is intentional that that we we're supposed to get a little confused okay. about all of this. So so um, so, so so don't worry. Like that that is that is what the author wanted from this story. Mm-hmm. That we're sitting there being like. What, what was this again? <laughs> you know, um, and that's part of the whole the whole situation of the story itself. Like this is the confusion that Thor and his company are also experiencing here. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So 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 Loki is um, uh, yeah he's competing with Loi and he again loses and uh, then. Then he's then then Urka Loki is like okay well you got you guys got to be thirsty after this trip and like I have this giant horn Vitis Hornit the Punisher horn um, <laughs> I mean it, I think yeah. it says it all right <laughs> yeah I mean there's got to be drinking games like that still in existence <laughs> oh, I'm sure I'm sure there does there's uh, I mean there's definitely like the old meter of ale or yard of ale. Right. <laughs> so anyway, he brings out the Punisher, and he's like, "Does anybody want a drink?" And Thor is like, "Well, hell yeah, I can do this." <laughs> and mind you, we know from other stories that, that that this is one of Thor's things that he drinks a lot and he eats a lot. This is a very standard thing about yeah. him, right? And um, well, he tries to uh, bottom up that horn, and um, that's not working out at all. Um, he's, uh, <laughs> he, he, he gets it all, uh, all over his face and, uh, and everything has to spit it out. Then next thing to happen is that, um, 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 Loki asks him if he would like to pick up his cat. And I, I do. Yeah. You know. <laughs> hey, would you like to hold my cat? <laughs> and. There's an important little point here. The cat is called Graubacher, which means Greyback. And this is important to, to understand because this is something that everybody who read this story or heard this story back in the day would have understood. That, that the Graubacher is the same as the Midgard Serpent. It is a name for the Midgard Serpent. Mm-hmm. So the fact that Thor is missing out on this means that he's incredibly stupid. Like, like, like he's he's made it like several levels stupider than he's supposed to be um, okay. in the story, and he doesn't pick up on the fact that he's actually trying to wrestle the Midgard Serpent. Uh, he tries to pick up the cat, fails. He gets like one paw off the uh, the ground, and that's that. Then, um, <laughs> then, then. Uh, <laughs> Then he's put to a wrestling match afterwards. So we've got a look. He's like, hey, uh, all right, so you're a big, tough guy. You want to wrestle my grandma? 
<laughs> I feel like there's no winning in that situation, is there? You know, it's, no, right? it's uh, this powerful god, and he he either beats an old lady to a pulp or he loses to an old lady. So you know, it's it's a it's a lose lose situation. It is completely a lose lose situation, right? And her name is Etli, and that means age. And she brings him to a knee, right? Like she brings him to a knee, and. He, this ba- big badass god, he's like, holy shit, I'm completely obliterated here. <laughs> it's, it's not looking good for Thor. If this was the only story you ever heard of Thor, you wouldn't kind of think of him as this big, this big no. hero, almost badass. No, you'd be, you'd be like, who is this jackass? <laughs> um, and yeah, so, so, so. He loses at that as well, and I guess like they spend the night there, uh, licking their wounds, and in the morning, um, they're they're gonna go home again. And um, and our good friend uh, Utgard Loki says to Thor, "Yeah, you know what? Just just so you know, like you're a pretty tough guy and all that stuff, but I mean, we did, you know, basically pull a magic trick on you and had you, uh, you know, drink." the uh, ocean out of that uh, that uh, drinking horn. And it was pretty impressive because, I mean, you did manage to actually create the tides by doing this. And also, you know, um, that cat you tried to lift, that was actually the Midgard Serpent. So again, it was pretty impressive that, mm-hmm. that you managed to actually get one paw off the ground here. And also, you were not wrestling my grandma, you were wrestling old age. I mean, again, and she only brought you to a knee. So, you, again, you do pretty swell, dude. Um, <laughs> and at that point, Thor got, like, really, really pissed and was just about to, like, hit um, uh, Utgard Loki in the face with his hammer. But that's when Utgard Loki then s- s- throws this smoke bomb and everything disappears. And <laughs> uh, Thor finds himself standing on an open plane going, like, huh, where am I? And so is, the, is this it, the origin of the magician smoke bomb disappearing I trick? Think so. I think so, <laughs> because it happens a couple of times in Etta, actually. Uh, the Aesir do the same thing to Gilvi afterwards, once they have told the story of Ragnarok. And then Gilvi is like, oh, okay, so wait, what? You guys are, like, going to die? Or did you die? Or what happened? Then they're like, smoke bomb, bye. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's so, yeah, that's the most impressive thing I've learned today. So we can send the podcast now. I'm I'm, I'm blown away. <laughs> no, it's a yeah, it's a it's actually a really funny story. It's a really interesting story because, um, as I said, what this story demonstrates is the failure of Thor to be an actual god. That's the whole point of the story. Mm-hmm. It probably is it, if we dig into like the the language of the story and a lot of other things. It's probably much older than uh, than Snurri uh, writing it down, because um, one one clue to that is is the word for glove that is being used in the story. That word is Danish, not Icelandic. Um, so it's a word that didn't exist in Icelandic back in the twelve hundreds, but it existed okay. in Danish, mm-hmm. uh, which means that uh, and and also Swedish for that matter. So it it means that it comes from east nordic instead of west nordic so that's this indicates that this is probably like a traveling tale that 
uh, missionaries have told about the god Thor to demonstrate how he's not a real god. So that people mm-hmm. would be like, oh, okay, he sounds like an idiot. And also, he sounds like he can't even do the things that he's supposed to be doing mm-hmm. according to the stories that we know. Um, hence also why this story is based off of this, um, this script that we know from these uh, uh, other world journeys that apostles and saints and whomever would otherwise take, right? Um, so it's sort of like it gives a little to the tradition. All the things that are mentioned here relate to mythical elements that existed before uh, Christianity, right? Thor fishing for the Midgard serpent, Thjalvi being associated with speed, Loki being associated with fire to some extent. These kinds of things, they're all there. Um, but, um, but then it dethrones all of these aspects that these mythological beings were otherwise associated with, takes their power away from them, and basically says that they can be tr- uh, tricked in outer space. And who controls this space? Well, that's, of course, God, right? Okay, yeah. yeah. So that's how that uh, story actually works. And um, the reason that we know that this story is so uh, prolific and... Um, has most certainly been told to dethrone Thor in, in, by missionaries, is that it exists in a lot of different versions, actually. Just not with the god Thor, but with a hero named Thor something. We have that story in sagas. We have that story in, uh, in, in Danish uh, uh, histories, like Saxo, um, writing the history of the Danes, for instance, also has a version of this story in there where they pick and choose a bunch of mythology that has, like, that is, that is, that relates to Thor, uh, references to other myths that exist out there, and then put together, like, this narrative. And the most important thing about Saxo's version of all of this is that this is actually the story that brings Christianity to Scandinavia and more particularly to Denmark. Um, this story about a guy who is called Thor something who goes to outer space because Saxo says like, oh, he travels beyond the stars and moon and all that stuff to somewhere in the North Pole where he encounters um, a giant called Gerudus, which is like a Latinized version of Gerudus, the giant that Thor kills in another story and so on and so forth. And then he comes back and becomes Christian. So there you go, right? That's actually what this narrative is all about. I guess it kind of makes sense that, you know, if, you, if you're going to an area that believe in one thing, a good way to, to make them change that belief is to dispel or diminish the belief and then, you know, say Thor isn't that powerful, he's a bit rubbish. But on the other hand, this guy over here, you know, he's omnipotent, omnipresent. He can do pretty much anything. Yeah. No, I mean, that that's exactly how they operated. You know, the reason that we have all of this mythology available to us is because Christians took an interest in dethroning these gods, right? They took an interest in the stories so that they could argue against them. It's exactly the same that we see in Mexico when the Spanish show up. Like, the reason that we have all of this Aztec mythology available is because the Spanish needed to record that mythology so that they could dethrone it. That's how it goes. <laughs> 
And that's how that's how uh, German uh, missionaries did it in the 900s when they went to Denmark and to Sweden and to Norway and, and so on. And that's how uh, Spanish um, conquistadors uh, did it here in, in the Americas in the 1500s. I guess they it's had the a same. blueprint that worked and just just ran yep. with it. But the, the the awesome thing about this, like the, the weird sort of like side effect, is that that it then means that we actually get to have this material mm-hmm. available. So it's, it's definitely not, you know, the whole wide range of whatever tradition that existed, but it's still a lot, um, considering that you know we're talking about cultures that were largely obliterated. You know. Yeah, I guess I guess it's better than just going over and killing everyone. And losing it completely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's sort of like the silver lining, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Very small silver lining. <laughs> well, thanks for giving but, us something. Yeah, no, I, I try. <laughs> but yeah, so that's the story of Utgara Loaki. It's the longest story that we have about any god. Um, and it is the story about how that god fails, right? How, how Thor fails in these basic things that he's supposed to be able to do according to, you know, pre-Christian mythology in Scandinavia. Yeah. It's, it seems like every step he, he fails at something. And then at the very end, the kind of, it's kind of when you, when you get an advert, um, I know you get them a lot in America, like these, these um, pharmaceutical adverts that say all these amazing things. And then right at the end, it's like the really quick, quick bit that says oh you may die or you may suffer from you know you may grow two heads or whatever and it's kind of like that at the end at the end of the story the quicker kind of just go oh yeah by the way you picked up the mid gossip and you drank the ocean and um oh i forgot on the other the last one uh you 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 wrestled old age and it's kind of like right at the end they give him a little bit of credit but it's it's just you know you did some good stuff but it's kind of brushed over oh yeah absolutely no that's 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 exactly what it is and it, it falls in line with the whole um more chill way of dealing with paganism from a christian perspective in the you know high middle ages in scandinavia um i think most people have like, this idea that oh they uh they just burned anybody who thought anything about this stuff right on on, on the stick and that's not how it worked though um because otherwise, a guy like Sleristotusun would have gotten burned, right? Yeah. He didn't. Um, uh, he 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 got you know assassinated in his basement for something else, though. Um, no, the uh, the the situation is is that the they Nordic mythology and the pre-Christian past is recognized as the past, right? It's recognized as something that's significant to our um, identity. By these people, these intellectuals, right? Um, so, so, so it has to like we have to fit it into Christianity. And how do we do that? Well, we start by first of all saying, well, the gods aren't gods; they're humans. That's humorism. That's a uh, well-known, um, actually, a Greek philosophical approach to what gods are that existed long before Christianity. Um, basically, they like. People who existed once that then died, and then we started uh, venerating them as gods, um, you know, through the stories that were told about them. 
Um, I mean, it's actually sort of like a, a believable scenario, right? <laughs> um, and then, you know, aside from that, we have to like fit this, this whole um, mythology, the cosmology into our, you know, Christian world order. Just like we modern space age humans try to fit it into our space age yeah. order, these Christians then took those we call them TO maps, right? It's like, um, and it's it's the the way that you are commonly you commonly understand the world in the medieval period. Like it's a disc um, with like a, a ocean around it, and then a river that runs through it, you have the Mediterranean too, and then you have um, uh, the, uh, 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 the, what is it, the Arabic Sea, I guess, like, or Arabian Sea, something like that, right? So basically, um, the Mediterranean is in the center of the world, right? It goes okay. into the center of the world where Jerusalem is. Jerusalem is the center. Mm -hmm. And then you have uh, the Black Sea, and the Volga River separating Europe from Asia, and then you have the Arabian Sea separating uh, Asia from Africa, and of course the Mediterranean separates Europe from Africa. And that's called a TO map because it's like a T inside an O. And that's how they would represent the world back then. That's how they probably knew that that's not how the world looked, but it is like an ideological representation of the world in a Christian perspective this is how god created the world and then they ran into trouble when they had to like explain the existence of another continent <laughs> later on <laughs> i feel i feel like christianity has had the probably the best marketing team to ever exist in the history of the world like they i feel like they've just got because what they did it was pretty clever really if you want somebody to to believe what you believe and instead of kind of going over and just killing everyone and saying you must believe what we believe in which case humans do what humans do best sometimes which is just rebel and you know kind of hunker down and and it would still exist in areas what they did was they went in and just systematically kind of diminished it and said it's not that great this is better offered them something else and kind of changed people's opinions and and took over that way rather than obviously they did do it through force as well, but it kind of was more long lasting through ch the changing of opinions rather than just brute force and trying to force people to to change. Yeah, you have to consider that uh, the way that we think about you know uh, eradications of beliefs and peoples today is informed by. Well, the ways that we have developed those kinds of methods for eradicating, right? Um, the World War II is is, is like an, an example of that. Um, you know, the the ways that uh, the, the Europeans were colonizing Africa, mm -hmm. right, in the nineteenth century is another example, which sort of was a precursor to World War II. Uh, the, the massive genocides committed by the British armies, by the French armies, by the Germans, you know, in Africa were the precursor for the genocides that the Europeans were, or Germans and other Europeans were committing on each other in World War II. And obviously, like, uh, 
the United States are also an example of those kinds of genocides in different ways. Um, but that's not how Christianity did it in the medieval period. A general perspective was to let people live, you know, and have uh, interactions. So, so it wasn't like, you know, a situation where you move into an area and then you're like, uh, genocide everybody and, and be done with it. Um, I mean, we do see some aspects of that in the 1500s and in, um, uh, uh, when when Europeans come to the Americas, but we also, uh, on a much larger scale, uh, see various um, attempts at living together. Then later on, that's when we get the the, the, the real genocide. I guess people are more beneficial to you alive than than dead. If you can convince people to to work with you and and live. Harmoniously, I mean, it and then depends on the time and the place, right? Because you know, you, you definitely see the Spanish enslaving and uh, and and going hard at it in in Mexico in the 1500s. Mm-hmm. But then later on in the 1700s, their uh, their approach eases up in, in in many ways, right? In the colonies uh, in in what is now the United States and Canada, uh, they start out uh, with like less genocidal. Uh, approaches and then they get more genocidal later on so it's you know it depends a lot on different uh, time and place and so on um but but the ultimately what what you see from the like the, the approach of the church is largely and that's also something you have to consider here we have many different actors not just like the church comes in and then they decide everything you also have you know uh governors and you know different kinds of secular structures, right? That also have laws and decide different things and so on. So there's a lot of different people involved in making decisions mm-hmm. when it comes to um, trying to kill off, uh, kill off in indigenous customs or indigenous peoples, right? Yeah. And that was the same back in the medieval period. Um, so, so yeah, no, it's uh, uh, these these weird ways that these things work are the ways in which uh, we then end up with at least a portion of the stories that existed before the Christians uh, showed up, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. And um, uh, when it comes to Scandinavia in the eight nine hundreds, right, there there were no genocidal acts by Christians of of any notability. Um, like some people like to say that there was a little bit here and there. There were some religious wars, yeah, sure. Uh, we did have an uprising in Denmark. We did have an uprising in Norway. We definitely had uh, pushback in Sweden uh, for a while. Um, but all in all, it kind of looks like it, it was more a peaceful process than than, than sort of like a, any kind of like genocide that some people would otherwise like it to have been so that they could, you know, feel pissed off or something. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, and it's the same thing in the, in 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 the UK, um, in England, when uh, when Christianity shows up in the in um, or the missions show up in the the six hundreds, right? Um, you have some wars. You have Mercia, for instance, being pushing back hard. You have um, presumably, I guess, Redwall uh, uh, making a statement, or uh, I guess is. To making a statement, something new. Um, that's like a very heathen statement. 
uh, <laughs> he's like getting bur- buried in a in a boat like that. Like he's the, 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 this is signaling we are you know Scandinavian heathens more than anything. Um, but but then it sort of like dies off and people are like oh, okay whatever get, get Christian. <laughs> <laughs> and at least we can have our own fates. <laughs> yeah, just just give in after the persistence. Yeah, you know that that's how these things go. I mean, um, but I mean, uh, if we go back to um, and now I'm just rambling. Um, if we go back to you know early early Christian Rome, you have like concentration camps mm-hmm. um, to eradicate heathens in Rome. Um, that that is something that happens there. So it's that you know. Different, uh, different areas take different approaches, and different, uh, different things happen. Different uh, ways of negotiating the, the relationship between Christianity and and whatever non-Christian uh, religion and ideology existed before then. Um, that's how it it all develops, right? So, um, so, so this is also say basically the, the point is. It's complicated, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it always is. No, I mean that was that was fun. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the I enjoyed the story. Um, even if we did get a little bit lost in the middle, but I think that, again that that kind of shows how these stories were told. And I, you know, I like that you're not just reading it from a book. It's it, it's got more life to it. Yeah, it's more fun that way, you know. And and yeah, I mean. What are you going to do? Like you, you can't remember every detail. Right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And that was, like you say, that was the way that they were. That was the way that they were told. Yeah. Um, so it's it's more it's more natural that way. So, so yeah, I mean, I have enjoyed it. Hopefully, we'll do a bunch more of these, and and they'll probably turn out to be slightly shorter than the normal episodes as well. So that's nice for people. I guess if they've got a little less time. Yeah, yeah, we'll figure it out. Yeah, well, we will. I'm sure we will. So, yeah, I mean, people can find you on Instagram. Yeah, you can always find me by Googling my name. I'll show up on Instagram. I'll show up on, you know, Facebook and the Nordic Mythology channel. We'll show up on Facebook. Um, I also have a, my website, NordicMythologyChannel.com. Yeah, it's never good when you can't remember your own website. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you can, you, like I say, you can find us at Horns of Odin on Instagram, Facebook, website is hornsofodin.com. You know, it, that's quite easy to remember. <laughs> <laughs> and just quickly, if, you know, if people enjoy listening to, to what we do, if you could leave us a review and a five star rating on, on iTunes or whatever you know platform you you listen to the podcast on that would be great it really just kind of help us find new audiences gets us up on the on the ranking and the ratings so yeah, anything else you want to say um well thanks for listening everybody um uh, thanks for listening to my ramblings and i'm looking forward to next time awesome thank you very much mm-hmm.